Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Get used to the mantra, all gas, no break. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, joined by my uh, my good friend and creator of Turn on the Jets, Joe Caparoso. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's good to be back on uh, the Turn on the Jets podcast. Weird to be on as a guest, but you're you're steering the ship very well, so I'm happy to hop on and talk uh, offseason. Humbled to uh, humbled to have you on, but exciting times, obviously, one Jets drive in the NFL as a whole. The league year is going to be starting up. Um, in a week and a half or so here a week and uh, you know we're gonna get into a lot of free agency trades and then you know work our way into the draft and got some exciting content um, you know over on the over on the on the site yeah it's bu- it's busy times and it's going to be I mean this is the most fun part of the year usually for Jet fans right free agency the draft um, there's no shortage of stuff that you guys got going on this feed you know Connor and I are obviously excited about what we got cranking on Badlands and it should be it should be a pretty big and dynamic offseason for the Jets. I don't know how it can't be considering their resources compared to the rest of the league. So there's going to be a lot of news the next couple of weeks after what is, I guess, the quietest time of the year, which is kind of like right now, that's about to change very rapidly. Yeah, no, it'd be interesting. It's something that um, I bring up a little bit with Kayla, who's going to join us later. But, um, you know, the amount of people that are going to be cut in the next two to three days um, when the league year starts and um, to get teams trying to trim as much, you know, fat off their roster money-wise as they can. Um, you know, Saints, you see the Saints already doing that with multiple guys, and there's going to be a lot more to go. Um, Steelers restructuring Big Ben, people like that. So a lot of guys that the Jets might be targeting, um, you know, watch out for either, A, getting franchised, people like Allen Robinson, Joe Tooney, but also people that, uh, you know, maybe cut from a roster that could be a talented piece the Jets could add on a uh, cheaper deal than they would be able to, you know, otherwise. But um, there's there's definitely a lot to go on. And um, I think fans will be excited to see how Joe Douglas builds this roster. Um, his first real offseason of free agency where he has money to spend and a roster that needs it uh, very desperately. Yeah, it should be a, a strong contrast to what we saw last year. Around this time last year, we were anticipating that it would be that 2020 would be more of an evaluation season where Joe Douglas dipped his toe in the water a little bit. It's a lot of one-year deals, no financial commitments that we're going to muck up the cap for this off season, trade Jamal Adams, every sign pointed to him saying that we're not going all in on 2020. I'm not sure about the head coach. I'm not sure yet about the quarterback. So I'm not going to overinvest our resources this year. There are also rumors of some spending constraints with the ownership situation in flux, whether that was true or not. The Jets were very cautious last year, and that's fine as long as when it comes to this offseason, when you have $80 million in cap space and the rest of the league has half that or less than half that, that you move to take advantage of a market that's going to get crowded fast with a lot of cuts because a lot of teams have no choice but to do this. So usually in most years, the free agent list gets ripped apart before the league year actually opens because people resign, they get franchise tagged. That will happen to an extent this year. But unlike other years, there's going to be a heavier influx of new additions to that list. And the Jets have to be aggressive in patching up some holes. It sounds great in press conferences and on paper to say we built through the draft and we use free agents to supplement our roster. You have to do both. You have to blend both along with trades. That's how the Eagles won a Super Bowl with Joe Douglas. That was not a full team built by the draft. There was free agency. There was midseason trades for veterans. You have to do a little bit of everything. And the Jets, if you look at their roster right now, it's all pending free agents, question marks, 
and Mackay Becton and Quentin Williams. You can't just be like, well, we're just going to use the draft to build our roster. You've got to be aggressive in free agency too. Yeah, it's something that I know you and Connor have talked about on Badlands, but you really go through this roster and you actually look position by position where they at, where they're at, even league average wise, let alone above average pro ball, all pro level players. And even guys that are Quinnen and Mackay, who are both probably the two most valuable assets on their roster. I mean, it's not, neither, neither made a pro bowl, not like they're all pros yet. They're very young and that hopefully will happen. But I just think fans need to realize. And I think the jet, I think Joe Douglas realizes there's a, there's literally a, this starting 22, you know, offensive and defensive positions. They can realistically upgrade it probably 18 or 19 of them. Like if we're being, you know, totally transparent. So it'll be interesting to see. And it's a, a good point you bring up that usually you see, okay, there's 10 guys the Jets want, you know, will be interested in and four make the free agency to sign right away. And they've got deals with, you know, contenders. And then it's like the Jets are competing and overpaying for one of those guys. But, you know, you look at, um, you know, we can start off kind of a little bit of some of the guys we'd like to see. I know you've covered this and I've talked a little bit about this, but, you know, I look at the Packers and the Packers need to resign a bunch of guys, Aaron Jones being one of them that I don't think the Jets should be interested in because I don't want to overpay a running back. But Corey Lindsley is somebody that looks like they're not close to resigning. And the Jets offensive line needs work badly. And um, he's somebody that I think needs to be, other than Joe Tooney, needs to be priority number one or 1A going into, uh, you know, going into two weeks from now. Yeah, Lindsley and Tooney are, are right there. I mean, Lindsley, it does seem like he is going to hit the market. And getting him at center to go from okay and inconsistent at center with McGovern to potentially great at center with him, and then you slide McGovern over in a guard, that is a move that the Jets should prospectively be all over. And you know he should be good and comfortable in that system coming from Green Bay uh, because it's going to be hard. I mean, there's going to be a lot of teams who want Joe Tooney, including the Pats, keeping him back. So if you miss on him, which of course there's a chance it happens, and then all of a sudden Scherf is back in Washington, how are you improving the interior, interior of the offensive line? Yes, maybe you get a Gabe Jackson or a Kevin Zeitler if he ends up hitting the market, but Lindsley should be right in that day one conversation. You know, it's Tooney, it's Lindley, it's Lindsley, it's Scherf. And then you have to look, I think, also at the deep wide receiver market, which I could see the Jets being patient on. Uh, because guys who would normally get more may end up getting a little less because it's such a crowded market. And then cornerback is still something where you really probably need two starters to feel good. I, I like what we saw from Bryce Hall a little bit. Am I sold? He's a 16 game starter right now. Not yet. I'd like to have a little more depth and competition there and edge rusher, which is a, a totally blank canvas. Honestly, all of linebackers. I mean, we, we hope CJ Mosley is back to himself, but he hasn't played in two years everyone else around him is a free agent and mediocre, not mediocre, but no one you're going crazy about. So I don't know whether it's Carl Lawson or Carwa or Judon, the Jets have to be aggressive there. And we've been talking about this for 15 years. Uh, that has to be another top tier priority, especially to make this defense work the way it needs to be. You just can't get by with Jordan Jenkins and Terrell Basham and Frankie Louvu for another year. This defense won't work and they'll, they'll get carved up with the system they're going to play. Yeah, what's what's concerning to me is that you look at even the Rex Ryan years, like the best 09 and 2010 defenses, which were the best defenses in the league. The Jets did that because of how schematically adept Rick Rex Ryan was from his own blitz perspective, and then having great linebackers and a great secondary. But without Revis and Cromartie, like I don't, they didn't have like Calvin Pace was a very good, you know above average league starter to close to a pro bowl level guy, but he was still getting 10 sacks a year. Like we had the Jets haven't had that since Sean Abraham. Sean Ellis was a great player, but you look at it and Jets like they want to be able to rush four guys on a majority of snaps and be able to get stops. And then all of a sudden now a CJ Mosley or hopefully another additional middle linebacker to Neville Hewitt, I think said a comparable NFL player, but I don't think can be a three down starter in the NFL. Now all these guys look way more valuable now. You know, they can use C.J. Mosley in the Fred Warner, um, you know, Bobby Wagner role. And it's like, okay, this guy's back to being an old pro. But I think they need to address that. I think receiver, you mentioned, receiver's tough because you look at Allen Robinson, the, I think I said that I'll say this later in the pod, but I think he's trolling a little bit with some of the Jets stuff. I do think he likes the attention of all the Jets fans freaking out that he's going to be a Jet 100%. But there's a line in which Douglas isn't going to cross from an Allen Robinson perspective. He's an elite, I think, in my opinion, a top seven receiver, but is Douglas going to pay him Amari Cooper money? I don't know. I mean, five for a hundred sounded expensive in Amari Cooper, who's not as good, but it's the same. I think that's what Robinson wants. Does he want to be in New York? And if Deshaun was here, 
I think it'd be a little different. I think that's maybe he's willing to take a pay cut because he sees a valuable future playing with a guy who'll have 120 catches with. Guys like Juju, Curtis Samuel are two people I think the Jets should go after pretty hard. I think they both can run without the ball. I mean, they can run after the catch. They both can be used in the run game. They're using the screen game, all things that the Shanahan offense needs. And that to me would, you know, I've suggested this and Jets fans don't want to hear this, but I'd rather pay Juju $12 million a year who's 24 years old and play 16 games a year than Jameson Crowder, 10 and a half, 11 million at age 28. And a guy who's always pulling a hamstring we talked about putting on film for 31 other teams at the end of last year, which somehow went really unnoticed. Um, and I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I don't blame him. The Jets were one in 14 at the time, but they're one in 13, but it just, I just, I'd be patient with the receiver market. I wouldn't go in expecting Allen Robinson. I'd go in expecting to the Jets to come out of free agency and the draft with Mims and two guys who could potentially be ones in the right system. I don't think they're going to have Robinson, Mims, and Juju. Like, I don't see that happening. I could be wrong, but that's just, you know, where I'm, I kind of settle out of two guys to get paid between eight and $12 million a year, which is similar to what Robbie got last year. And then you go hope Mims get 16 games under his belt and can kind of really burst out from what he kind of showed a little bit of last year. Yeah, I'd be surprised if they got Robinson. I love Robinson. I think he's a legitimate lead receiver. I would be surprised to see Joe Douglas spend that much money there. I think the bigger contracts market-wise will go to offensive line, corner, edge. I think in this market, you could probably get someone like Curtis Samuel on really good value, better value than you have Jamison Crowder when he's younger and could be a better fit in this offense. I like Juju a lot. I think people are down on him for stupid reasons related to the TikTok stuff. He's still a good productive receiver who's young and should be a good fit here and had nine touchdowns last year. Uh, so I'm curious to see what his contract shapes up like, but him, Samuel, lower tier additions, a guy like Kendrick Bourne could be interesting. That's depth, but still you want more depth in there and a guy who can move the chains on third down uh, to compliment Mims. I don't really think Galladay or Godwin are going to end up going anywhere. Robinson, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say the Jets are a favorite or even a near favorite to land him. I mean, we'll see what happens, but not something I would bet on more focused on Samuel Juju, uh, maybe they take a flyer on Will Fuller that that's been rumored a little bit, which would be silly because they should have just kept Robbie last year, who's a more healthy, potentially better version of him long-term because Fuller can never stay healthy. And then maybe some lower tier dart throws like a, like a Kendrick Bourne or uh, somebody else who ends up shaking free on the market. But I, I don't expect the Jets first signing in free agency to be a monster deal for Allen Robinson. Could be wrong. And maybe it's part of a bigger play that they're making to try to get Watson, but is that the most likely thing to happen? No, definitely not. Here's a, I'm going to pose this question and Bob Glauber posted, uh, posed this question slightly on the podcast here. I'm going to throw another wrench in there. Two veteran guys who could be either cut or traded. If Michael Thomas is on the market, even though his contract's large, he obviously set the NFL record for catches two years ago. I still think people are dying on him because he's slant boy and whatever. You don't catch 140 balls in the NFL and make a be the first team all pro as a, as a bum. And then Odell gets cut in Cleveland. Do you take a chance on either of those guys or do you lean more towards, I'd rather have three to four weapons um, and, and kind of stay away from either of the potential headache that could be Odell or Michael Thomas? I mean, man, I just think it's a tough one because those guys have been sort of banged up and not themselves recently. I think the ceiling could be higher with Odell because you go back to, thinking about what he was at his peak with the giants and how exciting he was then Thomas really outside of a weird season last year has been very consistent. Uh, he could line up all over the formation. I would probably be more inclined to go to Thomas. I just think with Odell coming back to New York, you get a lot of the circus elements, not necessarily of his own fault, but with the media around here, I think it'd be smoother, smoother sailing and adding Thomas. And look, if they added either of them, it'd be very exciting. It'd be surprising. I wouldn't expect it, but you need playmakers and you need to score points. And we've talked about this a lot. You could having resources is cool. Having players who score touchdowns is better. And jet fans at this point don't want to hear, well, we have a ton of resources. Like we're saving our resources. Like, honestly, nobody cares. Like it's, it's time to actually like go acquire good players and win football games you could say what you want about the Rams and like giving away their future assets. They're in the playoffs, winning playoff games every year. And they're trying to win a Super Bowl every year. And there's something admirable about that, even if it impacts their draft capital. It's not a conventional way to compete, but 
they are trying to compete. They're not trying to hover around 500. So everyone keeps their job for five, six years, which we can't have with the jets anymore. If you're 10 years of missing the playoffs. Yeah. I look at a lot of teams. Um, I used this example the other day and I'm a diehard Nets fan. And I think I'm probably the only one that works at TOJ or, um, you know, I was in the New York area, but everyone gave the Nets a lot of crap. Um, I know basketball is different, but the NBA and the NFL are blending more so than they ever have with the player empowerment movement. And that's something that if people aren't willing to accept, that's unfortunately the reality is the Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson thing is not new and it's not going anywhere. When guys are unhappy, they're going to want out and they're going to want to go to a better situation. Um, but the Jet, the Nets gave up four first round picks and now they've got a guy who might win the MVP and they might win a title. And at the end of the day, it's important to win. And, you know, I was all for the Rams giving up picks for Matt Stafford. I'm all for the Jets going and giving up picks for Deshaun Watson because 40% of first round picks work and even less so these quarterbacks. And you either you take a swing on one and if you hit, that's great. And if you don't, like the Jets, I mean, Lauren Rutledge brought up the other day, I think the Jets have taken 10 quarterbacks in the last like uh, 12 or 15 years in the first two rounds. And like, that's a, that's a huge problem. And, you know, I, I defend Sam all the time, but at the end of the day, like the Jets might've missed on Sam and the Jets missed on Geno Smith. They missed on Hackenberg and all these guys. And it's not just, you know, I was posed to me their day, you know, it was three first round picks too much for Watson or four. And it was like, we're two ones and two twos this year and next year. It was posed. Would you rather have Calvin Pryor, Jason Morrow, Leonard Williams, and, you know, uh, Hackenberg, or would you rather have Deshaun Watson? And it's like, when you put it that way, yeah, I'd much rather have Deshaun Watson. So, you know, I don't want to go down the Deshaun Watson loophole, but we can't, you cannot continue to bank on first round picks and, oh, we have cap space next year. The Knicks have been doing that forever. And I keep using NBA references, but it's true. Oh, we're going to land this guy. And then you don't land that guy. You pay a bunch of bad contracts and then you have a new head coach and fan base is pissed off for three more years. So I, I don't think that's going to happen, but just, I, I can't have, I can't be in June talking about, oh, next year we have cap space and the free agent market looks good. Dak might be a free agent again, like not doing it. Yeah. I mean, when you have the ability to make an aggressive move, you, you need to seriously consider putting all the chips that you collected to the center of the table. What, what is the point of having five first round picks over the next three years and all of your middle round picks and an extra third and 80 million in cap space. If you are not going to seriously take an opportunity like getting a Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson seriously. Now Houston is such a backwards organization that we don't know if they're going to handle this in any type of rational way, but the biggest mistake out there from a talking point is that, if the Jets acquire Deshaun Watson, they will have nothing left to build around him. It's just wrong. I mean, it doesn't take much research to see that it's wrong. They have five first round picks over the next three years. Right now they have two third rounders this year. They have two seconds over. They have all their seconds over the next three years. They trade Sam Darnold. Let's say they even just get a second and fifth back for him. You have another second. So you trade three first round picks for Deshaun and a second rounder. You have two first round picks to make over the next three years. You have all your middle round picks and an extra third. And you have a ton of cap space and you have a left tackle for him. You have a good defensive line and everyone wants to point to last year where, well, this is just going to be the Houston situation because they went four and 12. They went four and 12 with an interim coaching staff. They lost eight, one possession games and they were totally beat up down the stretch. Are we ignoring the year before when, despite having generously an average coach, they, they went to the second round of the playoffs and beat Buffalo in a playoff game. Their leading rusher was Carlos Hyde, journeyman. Will Fuller missed six games. And yes, they, everyone conflates that they had DeAndre Hopkins to Deshaun Watson at a loaded team around them. They had the 26th ranked defense. They had a bad offensive line. They had a banged up running back and receiver group around Hopkins. They made the second round of the playoffs. So Watson has shown he can win with an average or below average roster you get quarterback right, Joe Douglas gets quarterback right, and you know you're getting it right when you get Watson, especially on his current contract. Everything else kind of becomes details. Like Chad Hansen had a 100-yard game with Houston last year. All of a sudden, these guys who are like okay receivers, all of a sudden they're productive when you have Deshaun Watson around them. Carlos Hyde's running for 1,000 yards. Chad Hansen and Kiki Kuti are having 100-yard games every single week. Like you can do this uh, if you have a quarterback. So will Houston come to the table and be rational? I don't know. I wouldn't bet on the Jets getting to Sean Watson, but they should still be on the phone every day doing what they can to seriously consider that uh, because that's why you have all these picks. 
Yeah, and, uh, and something that happened yesterday, and um, I'm sure fans have already seen this, with the Russell Wilson saga and, you know, oh, like C Seattle's listening to calls. I just want to make it very clear from my opinion. They said the exact same thing Joe Douglas said about Sam Donald. Oh, we're listening to calls. When you say you're listening to calls, doesn't mean that means come get them and tell me what you're going to pay. Um, you know, and for the Jets' perspective, I don't think Russell Wilson's anywhere remotely obtainable. I, Seattle's not going to cut it correct their own mistake with Jamal Adams and then give us – like, we're not going to give them back their picks, but – if Russell does get moved, which I still think is incredibly unlikely, although it seems more likely now than it has the last couple of weeks, I put it five or 10%, maybe 15. Um, but the Jets have Seattle's pick the next two years. Um, and you have your own pick. You have number two overall. You have 23 and 34 this year. Then next year, if Seattle trades Russell Wilson, they're probably going to finish in the top five worst teams in football, if not picking one overall. I don't know. I just think you have to remember that these assets – fluctuate every year i don't think when miami traded uh, like for they, they traded tunsil i mean they like i don't think they were like oh we're gonna have a top three pick and our own pick and we're gonna be good with a top three pick like houston's not gonna be just bad so i just think fans need to remember that this rebuild rebuilding is a thing of the past it's very much retooling and quickly you know rebuilds don't take five seven years it's not is this in baseball we have to groom prospects you can change things in a matter of 12 to 18 months Look at Miami. Miami was the worst team in football arguably two years ago. They spent a ton of money now. They bought their whole team, which is interesting. They didn't, it doesn't seem like they hit on all those picks yet. But the Jets are in a really good spot. And like, there's a reason to be optimistic. I don't think we're in a bad, like the Jets are in a spot where you're like, oh, we're going to go sign a bunch of guys, overpay. It's not the case. I, I just would be very cautious of, oh, we can keep pushing assets to the future. You don't ever want to strap yourself where you have nothing. But if Joe Douglas is truly a build through the draft guy, whether he trades the picks or not, he has to hit on them because that's the way you're, you've told yourself, I can hit on second, third, fourth rounders. Like, I think Bryce Hall is going to be awesome because I took him in the fifth round. You, if you're not a guy that does that, you trade those picks. So that's just my thought. I don't know. I, I've leaned towards Joe Doug is going to have to hit on these picks, whether he has 12 or three. Yeah, 100%. It's one thing to collect the resources. It's another thing to make the most out of them. And draft picks are hard. You know, we, we have no idea how this in, this first class is going to shake out. We're very excited about Becton and Mims, but the rest of it is still up in the air. I mean, we, we don't know. I You know, Zuniga, Pirine look kind of eh as rookies. Maybe they turn it on. Maybe they end up being like total duds. You know, we're kind of excited about what we saw from Hall and Davis. We don't know which way it's going to go with them. You know, is Morgan and Cam Clark ever going to play? We don't know. So we'll know in three years, but how this team will really get built besides sorting out the quarterback position is can you find Leon Washington, Dwight Lowry, Brad Smith on day three? Can you find uh, a starting offensive lineman on day two or day three who's above average? Can you be the team who drafts Travis Kelsey in the third round or drafts Tyree Kill in the fifth round? That's what separates a lot of these teams um, rather than just saying you have a ton of picks. Yeah, and then, you know, two two questions for you. And we talked about this a little bit, but and before we get into this interview with Kayla, which is super exciting, make sure to, you know, stay on, stay on the pod for that. But tight end in free agency and then what you do with Marcus May. I'm of the opinion you need to sign a tight end in free agency. Um, not just, I mean, Kyle used check it, fullback would be great. And I know what he tweeted out the video of Richie Anderson catching a screen pass. And that's, you know, nice to think about. But first of all, they're totally different players. But I do think you need a tight end that can block at the second level. Um, I don't think Herndon does that well. I'm, I'm not saying he's a bad blocker, and I think you can be coached to be a much better blocker. I wasn't a good blocker when I played, but if you just put yourself in positions, you'll be better off. Tight end, I'd like to see a guy like Gerald Everett, Johnny Smith, those type of people. I think it's really important to that Shanahan offense. Look at George Kittle. You look at, um, you know, guys in Atlanta. You look at, like, Austin Hooper was awesome, that Shanahan offense that they were still running, and, like, now he got overpaid. But it doesn't. that's not the point. The point is, like, they could produce – and then Marcus May, I would tag Marcus May. If he doesn't want to do it, you trade him. You get a couple picks out of it, and then I, don't, I would hate to see that happen because I think Marcus May, the Jets never have second contract guys. He won team MVP. He's a good dude. He's put through with a lot of losing. It's so nice to have the anti-Jamal, but if he doesn't want to be here, doesn't want to be here, I get it. I would tag him. He's twenty. He's going to be in his age 28 season. It's a reasonable number at $10 million. You can even double tag him and let him walk at age 30 and get six full seasons out of Marcus May, hopefully a pro bowl or two, but I would tag Marcus May and then seriously, seriously consider signing a guy that can either be your starting tight end or at least 
split refs with Hernan where Hernan might blow up and we've been talking about it since the Green Bay game 2018. Um, you know, there's a good chance as Hernan's a pro bowler is just that Sam's back here in a pro bowler. Like they're in the same boat. It's been a lot of just like holding on to four or five games at the end of 2018. Yeah, you have, you have to bring in someone to compete with Herndon. I, I love John Smith. He's almost like signing a receiver if you don't land one of the big fish in the receiver market. He's a guy that dynamic athlete has done well with limited opportunities in Tennessee. You get him here with Herndon. Those are two prospective really nice weapons in the middle of the field for whoever your quarterback is. Could also certainly look at day two or day three targets, but he's a guy that I would be really excited uh, to see them add Gerald Everett, maybe another one, but John Smith is one who kind of comes top of mind to me. They're going to franchise may I'd be surprised if it went a different way. You know, his agent could tweet whatever he wants, but I, I don't necessarily see Joe Douglas paying a big money contract, you know, for a safety right now, especially when it was going to be 29 next year. And I think with their situation, you get may back for one year at 10 million, and then you kind of see where everything shakes out may not work out that way. And, you know, maybe they go get Keanu Neal and some of the other free, you know, free agents, someone who has experience with, you know, Salah's defense, but I think he'll be back on the franchise tag. And I would like to see another addition at tight end time to move on from the Trevin Wesco, Ryan Griffin, Daniel Brown experience and get some better competition. And for Herndon. I'm very candid about this. Ryan Griffin really bothered me last year from a lot of senses and I don't want to trash him, but when you start talking about, you're not going to cut your hair until you retire as a guy who's won an, another time, you know, a tight end gets drafted on draft night of punching a glass bottle at a bar. Like that was Ryan Griffin, by the way, if you're wondering, look it up. It's a pretty ridiculous story. Um, he, he's one play away from never playing the NFL again. And then to roll your ankle and say, you're never going to come back the same really just did not sit well with me. And like, I don't think to just need those guys in the locker room. I know he's impressive flat like two years ago for that short stretch against just like Jacksonville and the Cowboys and stuff. But at the end of the day, you need to have, multiple guys in this Shanahan offense and we'll continue to talk about this on TOJ on Badlands on draft season like you need to have tight ends that are athletic that can block they can make plays after the catch you need to have a fullback you need receivers that can run and do a million different things and on defense and defensively you have to be able to play multiple positions and you have to be able to play and win your battle every single play the Jets are gonna they're not just gonna sit and cover three they're not just gonna blitz four guys like there's gonna be a multitude of different looks and they need to have guys, Joe Douglas said this the other day, Salah said this, um, explosive, fast, athletic playmakers that want to play hard. It sounds easy to say that, but it's, that's what they're targeting. So when you don't be surprised with Curtis Samuel or guys like that that are fast, athletic, young, talented playmakers, it might be higher risk than Allen Robinson, but the reward could be just as good based on the you know formality of this offense, especially when you have Denzel Mims at receiver, who's kind of a similar-ish player to Robinson, like long-term. Obviously, I'm not saying Denzel Mims is that. Robinson's elite, but and just the, the profiles they're going to target, it's very catered towards long athletic corners, linebackers that can run in coverage, D-line that can win one-on-one -on -one battles in the run game and the pass game. And then offensively, can guys reach block? Can guys block at the second level? Can they make plays after the catch? Are they smart? Team captain. That's what the big deal with Zach Wilson Team captain or not, I know I'm kind of tangent here, but that was a big deal because Douglas drafted, I think it was maybe every single person other than maybe one or two last year as a captain. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, that's a huge thing for them. So just be on the lookout for that. That's, that's why we talk about the guys we do. Yeah, look, there's, there's a lot of different ways this offseason could go, and we'll learn a lot about Joe Douglas uh, in the next two weeks. It's going to be really interesting to see how this develops and where he spends and doesn't spend because this roster is a blank slate, and now he finally has a chance to build it the way he wants to build it. Yeah, and then, well, you know, like I said, Kayla's interviews going to be coming up here, Kayla Pace. Um, you know, she's, you know, working over at CBS Sports and, you know, lifelong Jets fan. So she's going to be a really interesting interview. We talk a little bit about what she would do at number two um, and then some of the roles, you know, women play in sports and women in football and how she kind of made her, um, you know, name known and, and showed her value. And it's, it's a pretty impressive interview. But, um, you know, again, make sure to catch Joe and Connor on Badlands. Um, there's a, you know, and visit the Patreon. I highly recommend the $5 tier because there's a lot of great content on both Sala and, you know, a multitude of guests um, that, you know, during the show and then draft season, especially all the way up until the draft. It's incredibly important to, you know, tune into that as well. Um, you know, we appreciate Joe kind of coming back on the pod and, uh, you know, <laughs> helping out on TOJ. Hey, thanks for having me.
Uh, it's great to see the show continue to roll along. So everyone, again, make sure you stay subscribed here. There'll be more to come. And on Badlands, uh, patreon.com backslash Badlands TOJ. You know, there'll be one to two shows a week, cranking along, $3 tier, $5 tier. Uh, excited about the upcoming interviews we have with uh, Stephen Ruiz, John McClain, Brandon Thorne, uh, Mike Tanier. Come, uh, come give it a listen, and uh, we'll keep rolling this offseason. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPaw11. I'm joined today by Kayla Pace. Uh, it's, her Twitter handle is KP underscore on underscore TV. Kayla, how are you doing this afternoon? Good. Thanks for having me on. No problem. No problem. Very exciting uh, podcast for you today. We're going to talk a little bit about the hot topics of Sam Darnold quarterback situation, a little bit about how the Jets are going to rebuild. And then we're also going to talk about Kayla's uh, role in sports and, you know, uh, you know, kind of her career and her career path going forward. So she's working over at CBS right now, and uh, we're really excited to be joined by her. So we'll get started. Today. We'll go, you know, get right into it. We'll start. You're Joe Douglas. You're picking number two and you got to build, rebuild a two and 14 roster. What's the, what's your first move, you know, from the quarterback position and uh, kind of going forward? So I don't think that uh, I'm going to start off hot here. I don't necessarily think that we have to take a quarterback at two. Um, I would personally trade back if I was Joe Douglas. And um, I try not to think too much, like, what do I want either? I try to think, what is he actually going to do? Because in the reality, like what we want doesn't really matter. So yeah, with, that, fan, um, with fans and anybody who works in the industry, it doesn't matter. You could be at it. You know, it doesn't matter. Exactly. So you're better off putting yourself in Joe Douglas's shoes than in your hopes and dreams for the team. So <laughs> I would like to think, though, that this draft is going to be super dependent on free agency. But um, it's pretty top heavy, in my opinion. And I think that they need to go finally draft like a corner because I would love to have a first round cornerback. Um but honestly, the quarterback is like really not a super high thing on my list of worries. I know that sounds pretty crazy, but um, I do think that Sam's time with the Jets should be over. And it's not because I don't like Sam. I love Sam. And I think that's why, you know, if you love someone, you got to let him go. Um, <laughs> Fortunately, it's hard, to, it's hard to tell yourself that sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I've been rooting for him for day from day one. Like, I he was not my top choice when we drafted him. I wanted Baker. I love Baker Mayfield. I love his yeah, underdog I story. There, I, I had Baker like five on my quarterback <laughs> rankings, but I was kind of right and kind of wrong. I had Sam one, so I missed. Yeah. Hey, we all miss sometimes. It's fine, but no, I like absolutely love Baker. I'm like still a big Baker fan. Um, but I also don't think Baker would have been successful on the Jets either, given the situation that Sam walked into. It wouldn't have been better if we had Baker Mayfield. I don't really know if it would have been better for anybody if they came in, to be honest. I mean, not that I can really think of, because I think this this person... Like, the Jets weren't going to be successful with that offensive line with Lamar. Josh Allen probably never would have developed. And then Josh yeah. Rosen would have stunk no matter who he was on. So it doesn't really matter. Exactly. So, I mean, it's not that we necessarily did something wrong with that pick. I think that um, Sam was just kind of set up to fail. He was walking into a disaster. The Adam Gase hire solidified that disaster and just made it 10 times worse. Um, so I think that Sam though does have potential, but the clock is ticking on his time to like turn his NFL career around. And I don't think he's gonna be able to do that in New York simply because there's a lot of like negativity associated with him at this point. Jets fans are not the most forgiving bunch and I'm not going to pretend that I'm not one of those either. Like <laughs> I have a tough time getting over some of like the big mistakes, but um, I do think that he would be better suited to go somewhere with like a more established system um, and kind of slide in with a team that's like more put together and not have to like keep trying to rebuild every single year when he's never even really gotten the chance to be stable to begin with. So I think it's his time to go. And I won't be mad if he ends up thriving somewhere else. I like Sam. I think he's a great guy, but he's not meant to be here anymore. Um, and that makes me sad, but. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that eventually I'm going to probably have to get over as well. Um, but for right now, I'm going to keep holding out hope that yesterday, even though the Jets talked a lot about, you know, they're going to listen to calls. I actually think that it's not as big of a red flag for Sam's future as a lot of other people do. I think in a good way, if you have the number two pick and you realize how valuable Zach Wilson's being talked about, even Justin Fields, Trey Lance, all those guys, if you say you're taking calls on Sam, it means everyone thinks you're taking a quarterback. And I do think from Joe Douglas's perspective, if he were to say anything other than that, I think he's losing leverage. Um, now he has leverage over anything. If someone team wants Sam, they're going to have to come in. They think there's a bidding war. If some team wants the number two pick, 
oh, the Jets are taking quarterback. We have to give up two ones in the future. Too. You know what I mean? I just think that we lose sight of the fact that Joe Douglas is just trying to get leverage no matter what it is. Whether he is going to move on from Sam or not, some people think it's a foregone conclusion. I still have asked it's 100% um, you know, one way. But I agree with you. I, I do think that eventually, like, sadly for for me and a lot of people that love Sam, like, it's probably over, but I'm not giving up hope yet. If you were – so Sam's moving up. Let's say Sam's traded. Do you go after one of the veteran guys in Watson or Wilson? Or you, like, do you throw the, the bag at them? Or do you sit there and say, I'd like to – I know you said mentioned trading back. Do you trade back and draft a quarterback? Do you trade back and draft a skill guy? Like, how do you, how do, you do that? Okay, so I think that um, Deshaun Watson's kind of a pipe dream. Like, I would love to have him play on the Jets. I mean, I don't know why anyone wouldn't want him to play on the Jets, but <laughs> I think that what it will take to get him to New York is just a little bit too much for a team with, like, so many holes on the roster. And not that I don't think that they could make it work, but I think Joe Douglas and Robert Sala are probably going into this looking at, like, we have all these opportunities to hit on these picks. Like, we need to take them all. And it's yeah. important because right now, like, there's very few Jets players that could be considered to be top tier. I mean, are there any besides like Marcus May? Like, not yeah. Really. I mean, like, even if you look at internal guys, I was having this discussion yesterday. Even if you look at internal guys, you look at, I don't know, you take a Jamison Crowder or maybe a John Franklin Meyer, somebody like that. That is a, they are talented players, but like, they weren't. They were barely a top five Jets player on a probably. They probably were the worst team all year in football. I mean, Jacksonville was bad, but like they were competitive. I feel like in some games in the beginning of the year, I don't know. I just like look at that. And it's like, okay, Marcus May is good. He's a top yeah. eight safety. Back then, could be really good and was flashy. Like Mims could be really good. Jameson Carter. I don't know. It's like roster stinks. <laughs> like yeah, I mean, like, to say it. There's players that I like, but there's not players that are going to be like making headlines. No one on the roster is untouchable, minus maybe Beckton and even Q's touch. Like, I, for the right price, I guess you could move them. Yeah, I think they could, but I don't think Robert Sala would want to do that. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's just this is really like a rebuild from the ground up. And there's like a lot of guys that are going to like plug small holes, but we need like the big players to come in and be like franchise guys. And right now, we don't really have any of those. So um, I think that trading back and getting more picks is probably the way to go because, I, like I said, I think this draft is kind of top-heavy. Um, I'm a South Carolina grad, so I would really like J.C. Horn. I was just going to say, I know you don't want J.C. Horn. <laughs> I mean, I love Mukwamu, too. I know he's, like, more of a second-round projection, but both of those guys are great. They both came up and made big plays in the big games. I mean, J.C. Horn had the two interceptions against Auburn. I feel like he flew under the radar for a while because he wasn't putting up those interception numbers, but he showed up when it counted, and they had that big upset win over Auburn. They won four games all season, and one of them was against a ranked Auburn team. I would love J.C. Horn at 23, and personally, I think, like, it. I like Bryce Hall a lot. I think he's got a lot of room to grow. Um, I think Richard Sherman, somebody in free agency, the Jets should be going all in on, even if it's a two-year deal. But J.C. Horn and Richard Sherman and Bryce Hall is a trio, to me, sounds a lot more appealing than Bless Austin and Bryce Hall. Yeah, see, and I, I totally agree with you. I think that J.C. Horn, and like, it's not to say that I don't like Bryce Hall. Like, the late-round pick, I thought it was a good pickup, but – I just, I want to see some guy who's going to really come out there and be like so explosive and not just like, oh, maybe he could develop. Like, I want someone who's going to go out there and play right now. Yeah, um, started day one. Yeah, so, but yeah, and I agree with the Richard Sherman thing as well. I mean, no long-term deals for aging quarterbacks, please. But like, yeah, like a two-year deal, I'll take. No, I totally agree. And then if, you know, let's just say, gone to your head virtually, obviously, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, they stick it to, they're definitely taking quarterback. Do you have a preference one or the other, or are you kind of just like, I don't know, it's a tough, you go back and forth. Oh gosh. I'm thinking of all the people that'll grill me for this one. Um, <laughs> see, I personally think that if Zach Wilson plays out, like if he ends up being talented, he probably has more longevity than Justin Fields. But also one of the things that's been standing out to me lately is the whole, oh, for all the quarterbacks drafted in the first round from 2009 to 2016, like aren't still with their teams. So is longevity as important? Like, are we going to get another generation of quarterbacks like Tom Brady and Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers that play forever? 
maybe not with the style of like of play now. So it's Justin Wilson or Justin Fields. I'm sorry, I'm mixing things up. Um, is Justin Fields the better option for like really elite play, maybe just for a shorter span? I think so. Like I think that in, in my head, I think like, okay, I want the Jets to have the quarterback for the next 15 years. We don't have to worry about this anymore. But the reality of it is, is like maybe we'll have one for eight to 10 and it'll be Justin Fields and the play will be top notch. And that's why I think I would take him. Yeah. I mean, like, look at Seattle right now. Like, do you think their fans, even going in like a month ago, they're like, oh yeah, Russell Wilson's going to like talk about wanting to get out. Like he's been here for a decade and like Deshaun just signed an extension after his first contract and he already wants out. Jared Goff just got moved. Stafford was going to be a line for life and he's 32. He got moved. Like, it's just, I don't even think it's, like injuries I think it's like also just like people move and like this player empowerment thing is moved from the NBA it's moved to the NFL for some reason it's never really reached the MLB or I mean it has to an extent but it's a little different in the NHL there's no player empowerment obviously but Mm -hmm. it's crazy to watch the NFL especially the quarterback position where you've seen it at running back receiver safety guys hold out but it's really rare now a quarterback all these guys that are franchise guys young in their prime of their career like yeah, I'm good. I want to go somewhere else right away. Boom. It's like one after the other. Like Dak should be a cowboy for life. Really? I don't know. Like, I think I'm just going to tag him again at 60 million and call it. It's just difficult to see how these different quarterbacks, I don't know. It puts it, it makes it really difficult. Like the jets are moving on potentially three years after drafting a guy and they traded four picks for him. And like, they're already like, yeah, we're not sure. We're going to move on. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. It never happened 10 years ago, let alone five years ago, maybe. It's so crazy to think about. And it comes back to, again, like what you want in your head versus like thinking about the current landscape of the NFL, like put yourself in the shoes of the GM, the player and like make a plan that way because your ideal dream, like, I mean, my Jamal Adams jersey is in my closet and it's never coming out again. And it's too bad that I bought that, but I was thinking like a fan. And like, if you put yourself in the shoes of the people actually running the league, you're going to get a much clearer picture of like what this team could be or should be, or might look like five years from now. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Like I, when they change their uniforms, I'm a big Jersey person. As I've talked about before on the pod, like I got Le'Veon, Robbie, and Jamal <laughs> and they were all gone in 12 months and I was like I have a million Sam jerseys and like those aren't going anywhere but I'm not buying another jersey until I'm convinced someone's going to be here on a second contract because yeah. it's not it's not worth it even the even the uh the fake jerseys from China like I'm sorry it's just it's my closet's full of horrible Jets jerseys like I have terrible luck like a Vernon Golston one in there if a Jonathan Vilma he got moved right away after like it just it's bad so Side topic. Yeah. I bought an, uh, an Eric Decker jersey right after the uh, overtime catch against the Patriots because I was that's, at that game. That's fair. Eric Decker is incredibly handsome. He's a good dude. Like, <laughs> there, he's like he was really good. I, I feel like he's an underrated. Like, had a good Jets career, and no one really talks about it because it ended the Love whole it. 2016 season was just a disaster. Yeah, absolutely. It's not really that important, but um, <laughs> no. And in, in terms of free agency, obviously a lot. Jets have a ton of money. There's going to be a lot of guys, a lot more guys cut, um, even by the time this podcast comes out. Um, you know, with cap dropping, you've seen a ton of guys get cut today already. Who, maybe two or three guys, you're spending the money, who are you going after? And, like, I'm not leaving the room until this guy signs a deal. Okay. So, I think um, I have two guys in mind. One, based on need. Um, the one based on need would obviously be Joe Tooney because – we need a guard so, so badly. You don't, you don't like Greg Van Der and Alex Lewis starting next year? Uh, no. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it, the offensive line is like a, such a point of contention for me. Like, like I wish we could have Makai and Penny Sewell. Like, I wish we could. I understand why that might not work functionally, but like that would be my dream. I mean, you look at the Bucks that just won the Super Bowl and like they have elite skill players. Yeah. And like Tom Brady was the quarterback, but that game was one at the line, like on both sides. Shout out Allie Moore, Pet Hobart. <laughs> so I would love to be able to like fortify that as much as possible. I've watched some Joe Tooney film and I like, I like his footwork. I think that Makai can put up those like highlight pancake blocks and Tooney can like be the versatile like guy who can move well. And I like that a lot. Um, I think also to the fact that he had to be versatile this season, like moving around the line, playing center, like, I mean, a guy who has experience and experience doing things well 
is obviously only a good thing for the Jets at this point because there's just not any of those, none, nowhere. So I think that um, he would be a great addition. Um, and I think that that's the kind of guy that Joe Douglas would go after anyway. Like that's like right up his alley based on what we know about him and like the guys who were good at the fundamentals and stuff like that. And that's what he's going to look for. So I hope that it's him. That's a guy that I wouldn't let leave the room without signing for sure. Um, he's, now, I, I see like last year, that's everything that's been rumored. If the Patriots don't tag him, he, I think they literally tagged him because they knew the Jets were like, the one guy Douglas said he was going to throw all the money at was Tooney. And then like, yeah. obviously he gets tagged and they're apparently nowhere close. And then like another name to, for fans, for my opinion, like Tooney would be number one on my board and Corey Lindsley would be number two. And then you can play him at center. You kick McGovern to guard. And now you have Becton, McGovern, Lindsley, Tooney, and then either in George Fant at right tackle, like you have a, probably a top eight offensive line in the yeah, in two years. Joe Douglas makes them from the worst to a top 10 offensive line, and everyone's either in their prime or entering their prime. Like that's what you want, no matter yeah. who's a quarterback. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Um, and obviously, would give whatever quarterback is back there a chance to develop if that's the situation that we're in. Um, and then also, another guy that I want, and this is for kind of a different reason. I want a free agent who really wants to play for the Jets. Like that might seem like kind of a dumb thing, but like we've had signings of guys who just like couldn't turn down the stupid money being thrown at them. Like CJ Mosley didn't want to play for the Jets. Like, am I glad that he's on the team and is probably going to come back this year and hopefully be good? Yeah, of course. But like, I want a guy who wants to come to New York because he wants to be a Jet. And I think according to social media, that seems like it's Allen Robinson. And like, I think that getting him here would be great. I mean, I saw his interview the other day talking about how great New York is and like he trains up here and like playing in a market like this would be cool. Like, that's great. I want a guy who wants to come here and actually play for this team and is like happy to be here and is not just coming because of money. Like, cause that's just such an underrated thing when it comes to just like the locker room. Like, all right, you can break it down by like his specific skill set or like wh where you think he fits in a scheme. Like that stuff is important. But a guy who comes here and really wants to help turn the team around and be a part of it is like, that's invaluable. Yeah. I, Alan Robinson, Tooney, like if the Jets leave free agency and they've, they've got those two guys, um, obviously I'm not paying anybody so over market rate that they are going to have, I mean, of course they're gonna have to pay for these guys, but Alan Robinson is a top 10 receiver. He's top five. And depending upon your preference on receiver, every, you know, everyone has a different preference, but Tooney's an elite level guard. They're both in their prime. And like, if you want to be here, you want to be here. I mean, like Jamal, that was the biggest frustration with Jamal leaving and wanting out so quickly was, oh, I'm going to make, I'm going to change the culture. I'm going to change the culture. And then like, it's a lot of talk and not really a lot of action. Um, I don't feel that from Allen Robinson. And look, I, I mean, I just, he's been in two, he's been thrown the ball by Nick Foles, Trubisky and Blake Bortles. And like, He's still been elite. I don't know. Like you put any competent offensive scheme and offensive, you know, uh, someone to get in the ball in tight windows. Like, I don't know. Sounds pretty good to me. Like I'll be okay yeah. with that. Do I think he's potentially trolling a little bit to be honest? Yes. But yeah. I also realized like if he was just trolling, like the like in the tweets would be where it ended, but like going on a show and like just gassing up New York, like New York in general, Yep. the Jets or the Giants who should be two of the teams in form I do think that matters I think like those are not just like whatever when like weird Instagram posts and all that stuff you, <laughs> like, you know what I mean like that's the 21st century like athlete but at the same time to back it up by also like speaking on it multiple times like Richard Sherman multiple every time he gets a chance to talk about New York or Robert Sala does like that's why I was really ha happy Robert Sala was the Jets head coach apparently like that was number one like I want to be the Jets head coach When's the last time Rex maybe like, I don't think Adam Gates was like, I want to be the Jets head coach. I think he was like, no one else will give me a job because I'm not good at my job, but yeah, the Jets but will because you know, we're the Jets. Right. Exactly. No, I think that the whole, the whole benefit of like, and that's another great thing about Salah is like, he's going to bring that energy of like, I want to play for the Jets too. And like, that's awesome. I think it's great. I like, look, there's a lot of exciting, um, a lot of exciting like possibilities with this offseason. I think things will shake out. And, and another thing we'll, we've, you know, I mentioned before, but a lot of guys are going to get cut. Um, a lot of really talented guys are going to get cut. You look in places like New Orleans, I wouldn't be shocked if Michael Thomas gets traded like for nothing. It's similar to San Antonio Holmes type of deal where like, I know very different San Antonio Holmes do a drink at a girl's face and like he should have gotten traded. But 
I'm not downplaying that, by the way. It's just that's I don't want to get in down that whole rabbit hole. <laughs> but Michael Thomas is owed $20 million next year, and the Saints are $85 million over the cap, even with Breeze and all these like those things. Teams, I would be on like Zach Ertz is going to get moves or he's going to get cut. There's like all over the league, it's going to happen. And the Jets are one of the few teams that have so much money to spend. Take advantage. Like, this is what happens. It happened the summer of 16 in like the NBA right after that. And we're not going that whole tangent, but the salary cap rose so much. All these teams gave guys crazy money. And then the next summer, when you actually needed to have money, nobody had money. That's right. the same thing as last year. Everyone spent money to go for it all this year. Jets didn't. It sucked as a fan, but they weren't good. But now they have money when no one else has money. That's a very nice place to be in that I don't think can be overstated. Yeah, definitely. I think we also kind of come out of free agency with a, uh, an upgraded tight end too, because there's so many on the market. I could not agree more. I like, um, and there's a lot of different ways you could be tight end. I think Kyle Hughes strikes a guy that just need to target heavily. He knows the system and also having a fullback and somebody that's not just a fullback, like can catch the ball in the backfield, like really helps the Shanahan offense in general. I know Woody Johnson tweeted today, oh, like, we need this back. It was like Richie Anderson catching a screen pass for like 80 yards against the Colts. Like, I don't know if that's going to happen, but John U. Smith, you look at Gerald Everett out in LA, like guys that come from similar offenses that they can block and, and like get to the second level, but also people that can catch that, like go in motion, run every pattern they need to. Like it's important. Chris Herndon was disappointing. He's been disappointing since the Packers game in 2018. You know, I draft him to my fantasy team every year saying, oh, this is going to be it. This is Chris Herndon's time. And it never is. He just keeps letting me down. So this year, Chris Herndon not getting drafted. I'm not drafting. I have to stop drafting Jets on my fantasy team. Every year I do it. And it's backfired every, I always have Sam on my team just because like, I don't know, I want to have Sam rostered. And then like as a backup, which is stupid, but then I always take, I always used to take Robbie and it's like, one week he'd have 100 yards. Next week he did three for 12. I took Perryman this year, thinking he'd have a bigger year. He was uh, my, yeah. my, he's, my, he's my number one enemy in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know who I couldn't stand on an unrelated, not fantasy level? Um, Buster Screen. The whole time he was on the Jets, I was like, get this guy away from here. Speaking, of people, who, speaking of people who just got cut, I no, yeah. <laughs> I'm good. Thank you. But no, if you if there was, I guess we'll we'll end the more Jets free agency talk. There's one guy you have to re-sign, whether it's Marcus May, Brian Poole, Jordan Jenkins, guys like that, or, you know, Rashad Perryman, people like that. Um, who are, Who's somebody that you feel like the Jets have to re-sign? Um, who do you need to keep in-house? Um, so, like I said, like Marcus May, I think is like the best player on the team or is one of the better players, one of the only ones with potential to be elite. I think he needs to be signed, but not necessarily for that reason. I think that they kind of have to like do right by him, especially under this new regime, because it's like, I mean, people like the free agents are paying attention. And I think that it's important for team morale to see him kept around after like playing really well. I think it's important just like league wide to show like, hey, we value our guys here that like we've built in house. And I think that that would have a profound effect on like the locker room and potentially like free agency is going forward as the team gets to be contenders like we're going to do right by our guys and you don't want to be the team that like is just like letting the guys grow and walk like I mean the Jamal Adams saga didn't look good but that wasn't under this coach so it's like it's going to be it needs to be shown that this is different and we respect the guys that have worked here and grown here and made this team better even if it's just incrementally. Yeah, no, I agree. And like something I thought super interesting, a lot of fans like are criticizing the Jets for and like, well, yes, they should be criticized for like they've spent the most money over the last four years of any team in the NFL like by a lot. And then Cleveland, I believe, and a few other teams are underneath them. But like not only the Jets spent money poorly, but the reason they have to spend so much money in teams like Pittsburgh, Green Bay is because Pittsburgh has all the guys they drafted six, seven years ago on their team. And like if you continue to not get guys to second contracts, it creates a huge problem. Then you go and spend $15 million a year on running back because you need to make a splash because you have no homegrown talent or you spend $18 million a year on CJ Mosley, which again, CJ Mosley is great. And I'm really happy he's here, but like, you don't, you would not have had to pay him overpay him $18 million, you know, $18 million for the Ravens probably were at 15 because you can't grow your own guys. And like, I don't know how many guys are really on it. Like 
to get to a second contract. Quincy Inunua did, and then he was out of the league in two years. Yay. You know what I mean? It's like, that's the part that's frustrating for me personally. Like there's, there's such a few amount of guys that either get to their second contract or even finish their second contract to the Jets. Whereas, like I said, teams that you look at are successful and it's not just they're good at drafting because the Jets are not always bad at drafting, but Jamal was a good pick. Jamal's not here. Marcus May like was a good pick. And if he's now not here, that's that whole draft class is wiped out. It's like Leonard Williams is a good football player. Didn't make the second contract. That's just, we don't have to harp down it, but like, yeah, it's got to stop. Yeah. At at the end of the day, you have to start retaining your own talent and then building that as opposed to every single year you rebuilding, but I guess we'll kind of go in a slightly different direction. If you kind of want to talk us through some of your background and being a female in football and a female in sports and, you know, kind of how that journey, the maybe up a little bit of the ups and downs and, um, you know, kind of talk through that a little bit. Yeah, sure. So um, I am from Jersey, grew up a Mets and a Jets fan. Um, and when it came time for college, I really wanted to go somewhere with like the big time college football. So my first thought was SEC. So ended up at South Carolina. Okay. Um, okay. I was... USC, by the way, we're just going to get that in the podcast. Oh, come on. Not now. Come on. <laughs> I waited oh, all podcasts for that. Sorry. <laughs> all right. If we weren't recording, this would be a fight, but it's fine. It's fine. Um, so I went to South Carolina. I was part of their journalism program. I graduated with my degree in broadcast journalism, um, interned at like a bunch of local TV stations. I worked with student media. I got to cover a lot of game pack football, a lot of game pack basketball. Uh, I got to travel with the team some my senior year. Uh, I got to go to Georgia and Tennessee and it was really cool. Uh, great experience for me. And then when it came time to look for a job, um, basically what you do when you're an on-air talent just starting out is you move to the middle of nowhere and um, you kind of just work for, like up from there. So I went to Amarillo, Texas. Anyone who doesn't know where that is, that's in like the little square part on top, the panhandle. Um, and that's just like Friday Night Lights country. So I was basically like living that show every Friday night. And um, we would drive around, like our DMA was enormous. It would take, could take me like three hours to get to one game. So um, I would hit like three or four games a night, uh, just be driving all around um, to these tiny little towns of like a thousand people and going to their high school football games. And it was really cool. It was an awesome experience. We also had some great like D2 college sports. I got to cover a couple of football games at Texas Tech. Um, so it was a great uh, starting out experience. Um, it didn't really work out there for like a extension. Like I was signed a one year contract and I, it was kind of time to move on. And uh, I guess I can talk about that more about being like a woman in sports, but um, career path wise, came back home, interviewed for a bunch more like uh, local news jobs. And I was like the finalist for five jobs and didn't get any of them. So I ended up at a networking event in New York. Uh, I live like 30 minutes outside of the city and was at this event, met my current boss. And now I work at CBS Sports. Um, I work as a researcher. So basically the gist of my job is to like prepare everybody else to do their jobs. Um, I make like game packets for games that air on CBS Sports and CBS Sports Network. I send it to all the talent, all the producers. I work in studio when we have like halftime shows and like uh, talk shows and wrap up shows. And so primarily I do college football and college basketball also helps them with NFL. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of like, I have a microphone, I'm in the anchor's ear, I'm in the producer's ear, I update them on things as they come, and finding stats, building graphics, it's it's a wide net, so, um, but I really like it, it's been a lot of fun, um, hopefully though I'll be back on air one day, that's the final goal. Yeah, no, I mean, I just thought it'd be interesting to the listeners kind of just learn a little bit more about kind of your journey and, um, you know, some of the stuff you're doing at CBS and things like that, but yeah, I mean, I guess, we don't have to get too, um, you know, we don't have to get too in depth, but like, what would you say some of the, like the most exciting things about being a female in sports and versus like some of the things that are the most challenging just for, you know, maybe potential people who don't, kind of don't have a good as a grasp, good as good of a grasp of, uh, you know, that, you know, going forward. Yeah. So I would say overall, I've had a really positive experience as like a female in sports. Um, my, like at South Carolina, there was a huge amount of women like trying to enter the sports field. And so it was kind of like, I started out with a really strong like support system of other people that also wanted to do that. And like, I've also been encouraged to do this by like my parents since I was a little kid. Like my dad, um, he wanted like all boys and he had three daughters and- That's always um, how it works. Yeah, so, but since I was a little kid, like I would, 
like when he was watching the Mets, I'd come like sit on his lap and ask questions. And like, that's kind of how it all started for me. So my dad's always pushed me like, yeah, do sports, like go for it. Like, don't, it does not matter that you're a girl, like you have to go for it. So I've had like very strong support systems from the get-go, which has been awesome. But um, I mean, I would say like my first job, like the biggest challenge was that I was like a woman and like even people who there's the people you run into that are like overtly jerks about it. But there's also people who like don't even realize that what they're saying is like not cool, you know, and that's honestly the harder part because they think they're being nice and like they think they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. But it's like some of the things people say sting like it's always like, oh, you know, a lot for a girl or for a woman. And it's yeah, just it's like, always like a compliment and then a back end compliment at the right. same time. Right. And they think they're being nice. And like, it's at the end of the day though, it's like, I work just as hard as anybody else. Like, and whatever time I've taken to learn about this and understand it, like it doesn't make any difference that I'm a female. And like, um, but my first job, that was definitely a struggle for me. And like, that's kind of why it didn't work out. It was just like, I don't think, I didn't feel like I was respected the same way that um, like my male coworkers were. And um so I figured like, and I know there's better out there. There's, I have so many friends that have had super positive experiences in their news jobs and stuff, but um, I ended up coming back and I see working at CBS now, I feel like I'm in like the best spot possible for, um, for that kind of environment. Like the guys that I work with in my department, like it's me and seven other guys. So it's, it's like just me all the time. Like, and um, there's a bunch of women that work at CBS sports, just not in research. Yes. So I've just been lucky that like, that was one of my fears when I took that job was like, oh, I really hope these guys don't think that I'm just like the token girl in the department that doesn't really deserve to be here. Yeah. Like Um, I know my, I know my stuff and like, I'm not going to like get not walked over, but I'm going to be able to show just as much as you are that like, I know exactly what I'm talking about. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it comes down to like my, the team that I work with is like, just like the most respectful and helpful group of guys. And like, we all can ask each other questions with like no questions asked, you know what I mean? Like it's more of just like, oh, we're here to help each other put out the best product and um, just guys that are really good guys. So um, where I'm at now is awesome. And like the, the anchors are all super nice. Like I don't not, I don't get ever get overlooked because of my gender there. And I'm like, I love that. And it's been a really positive experience to see that like, okay, this is out there. And like, not everyone's going to have to deal with like the crap. And I mean, the one time ever that I felt like, oh no, like this is kind of weird. That like person was moved away from me immediately. Like, it's just like, it's those kind of situations where like they're handled swiftly and taken care of. And you're like, all right, this is great. And at the same time, it's also like super like empowering. Like my younger sister um, is a student teacher right now. She's in college. Um, and she had me on to talk about the Super Bowl because they do like a newscast in their class every week. And the, the girls were like, I didn't know that like girls could do this. And like, I didn't know you could go to work and talk about the Super Bowl. And like, they were asking so many questions for me. And I was like, yeah, I mean, sports is for everybody. And like, yeah, any that's, of- the one best, that's part of the best thing about sports is like, it doesn't matter who you are. You can, you can like, can, you can relate to somebody else uh, right. more so than politics or money, things like that. So no, I totally agree with you. I mean, you can continue, but I just, I think that's part of the goal. Like that's part yeah. of the sports. And see, and what's cool is too, like you played football. So obviously you have a different perspective on the game than I would because you played it. And that doesn't necessarily mean that what I, what I think or what I say or what I've researched is not as relevant as yours. It just brings up a better conversation. Like you need diversity of voices and like people who've had different experiences with the game and have different perspectives. And that's part of what makes it great. Like you can't have a million sports podcasts with just a couple football players who are in the same couple schemes being like, yeah, this, this, and this, like it just would get tired and old. And that's why you have all these different voices and why it's important to include them. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I just thought, I think it'd be, I just thought it'd be interesting for people to kind of hear a little bit more about that. You know, there's a positive and a negative side, but at the same time, it can be as much, as positive as like everybody around you makes it. it doesn't, it's not just one person, um, you know, it kind of goes out of the way to, you know, make it positive or negative, obviously, but no, I think it, it's important. And you see like an evolution, a lot of it, you know, we had Connie on and then a lot of people like Janae Coakley on later, um, you know, next week, but it's women in sports, like it's, it's okay, especially women in football. And as long as you know your stuff, just like a guy has to know their stuff or whoever is going to have to like, it should go, it should be equal no matter what. So, um, yeah, I will say I am like super careful about some of the stuff that I like tweet out. So I'm just like, all right, I'm going to fact up this like six. Gonna, I'm going to get like, 17 comments immediately from people yeah. about you're a girl. What do you know? 
and yeah. eventually yeah. that will eventually that will end. And um, now I think there's a million different discussions that can be had on you know gender equality in sports and all types of things. But at the end of the day, ever if as long as everyone's working the same, like if you're working to work hard and you're going to bring value to the table, like your opinion should be listened to. If, yeah. You know, obviously it's different if guy or girl or whoever um, is not bringing that same energy and passion and um they don't have as much knowledge like you don't like no matter who they are you're not gonna let you shouldn't be listening to them anyways they're not right. giving you the best like content and you know bottom line yeah if you're only if you're only doing this to like get your face out there and put your name out there then that's like really not what it's about it's like who cares who's passionate and who's going to bring something to the table that's going to give you a new perspective yeah no i totally agree and um, look, I mean, we, we just did a 30 minute, 30 minutes on, you know, the Jets and who they're going to draft and, and things like that. And, um, you know, for, for our sake, let's hope they trade back, but, um, you know, what, no matter what happens, obviously, um, it's going to be an exciting time and it's an exciting time, you know, you're a Jets and Mets fan. So you got, you know, there's a lot of exciting things and although, um, I'm a diehard Yankee fan, so I'm not sure I really agree there, but at the end of the okay. day, uh, um, you know, it's an exciting time, both New York sports, but for the Jets right now, um, you know, we'll find out in the next week or two, you know, what's really gonna happen to free agency. And then, you know, the draft about six, seven weeks away. And that's another, that's another exciting time to start dreaming about trying to make a playoff run at some point in my lifetime. Yeah. Sometime soon, sometime like next three years, I'll say three years until we make the playoffs. Um, and, you know, I'll have to turn my notifications on for all the Jets reporters because I will be nose deep in March madness for the next couple of weeks. So that's, so, yeah, uh, that's, that's until like the first weekend of April. So it'll be interesting to see how March madness goes off this year, but um, again, make sure, you know, you can, you know, catch Kayla on Twitter and then follow some of her work at CBS. And then obviously she gets back on the air soon. Um, you know, it's KP underscore on underscore TV. Um, if you haven't or not following her already, but we really appreciate having out having you on today, Kayla. And uh, if any questions, make sure to reach out to her and, uh, you know, she'd be a great resource for you. Thank you so much for having me on. This was great.